listening to a podcast from The National. As we enter the second week of the FIFA World Cup in Russia, there have been some notable performances already. But how does on-field success or otherwise impact the commercial fortunes of the sponsors, players and nations taking part? My name's Chris Nelson, and in this episode of the National's Business Extra podcast, I talk to Andrew Campbell, Managing Director of Brand Finance Middle East, based here in Abu Dhabi, about the financial issues relating to the World Cup. With 3.4 billion people expected to watch the uh, the FIFA World Cup over the month uh, that it takes part in Russia, that's obviously an enormous market for um, sponsors, um, both of the competition itself and obviously of players and the, their uh, products that they endorse. How, how do you think that uh, relates to other potential markets for those sponsors? I think uh, it's a vast audience uh, up. I think in 2014, the number is about 3 billion. So the numbers are increasing. There's nothing like it uh, apart from the Olympics, which is somewhat comparable. However, on football, it's very focused. Uh, you're not watching speed walking or ice skating or whatever. And uh, it raises passion and interest and unites audiences, uh, listener groups like no other product. So in terms of a focused uh, audience, there's nothing like it. And uh, it comes around once every four years, and it's a huge opportunity for getting the attention of that audience Mm -hmm. globally. And and obviously, from a a commercial point of view, the companies that are involved get get uh, wide exposure. How do you think, um, from from the point of view of smaller uh, countries that, that take part, say, for instance, Panama or Peru, um, wh- how do you think it influences or could influence or impact the country brand of, of those smaller areas? Will it, will it affect tourism? Will it interest people to have a look? Um, is that likely? It certainly raises awareness. Um, countries that are not of a necessarily high profile in the football world or globally anyway, suddenly are on the stage and are performing and their flag and their colors are seen to this vast audience. So it's undoubtedly an opportunity for those countries and the players in those Mm -hmm. teams to show themselves and to reveal something of their personality and to hopefully bring the perception of the country brand into line with what they want that image to be. Mm -hmm. So very clearly it is a, a great opportunity and you know there's stories from the past of countries that have done extremely well and have elevated their brand perception uh, there are some stories on the other hand where they have not yeah uh, surrounded themselves was, in glory i guess that was one of the the potential fears coming into the russian world cup was was the possibility or the f- the fear of of crowd trouble for instance um, and i think you you probably be right in, in saying that Russia worked very, has and is working very, very hard to make sure that the perception of the country is uh, right. as clear as possible. Right. And that seems to be, so far, going to plan. Yeah. yeah. Does it have, I mean, is it, does it have a measurable effect um, on the host nation uh, as to how they are perceived to have dealt with the competition? Undoubtedly. Um, it's... It's a question not only of perception, but reality. Um, I was reading that Russia is expecting to invest about 12 billion, and they're looking for that to be 
uh, return mm -hmm. with about 26 billion. Now the time span is unclear, uh, but they're talking about already the GDP has increased by one percent. Mm -hmm. So the you know the tangible financial benefits mm -hmm. are, are so there. it's well worthwhile putting that 12 billion in to host a competition. In in theory, if you believe the numbers, yes. Yeah. Uh, those numbers are really hard to verify, mm -hmm. but clearly the perception, the awareness of of the host country is highly elevated. Yeah. You know, three plus billion people yeah. watching it, being exposed to the culture. Yeah. Clearly, if the message is conveyed well, it's going to have a strong positive impact. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, with the commercial sponsorship of the competition, um, there's been a, a significant shift in the certainly the tier one sponsors, uh, although originals such as Adidas and Nike are still there. But uh, we now have... Um, from China, we have Wanda, uh, and uh, from South Korea, we've got Hyundai and a, another company, a Chinese beverage maker called Mengunui, um, who are, you see on the hoardings, um, their, their brands across most of the matches now. Um, that seems to be a relatively recent change. Um, what, would, what do you think are the reasons primarily behind that shift? I think there's two drivers to that. The one is uh, the well-known Western brands are wary of association with FIFA in particular mm -hmm. after the scandals of 2015 mm -hmm. and there is still a something of a taint mm -hmm. to the the FIFA brand yeah. uh, which has not yet cleared itself up. Do you now, think it's clearing? That's not clear yet mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. I think you know other brands where they've tumbled um, They've managed to pick themselves up quite quickly. Mm. You know, I'm thinking about Volkswagen yeah, yeah. Uh, and Samsung, where they had mm. that uh, situation with a with handset the that yeah. was malfunctioning. And there were stories around that. This is going to be the end of Volkswagen, the end of Samsung. Mm. Nothing of the kind happened. They mm. got themselves back up very quickly. And I think that was a testament to the strength of those brands yeah. and the way that the management owned up to it mm. and corrected it and moved on. Mm -hmm. My sense is that in FIFA, the regime of FIFA, if that's the right word, has been still a little slow to uh, reinforce the perception that they've cleaned up yeah. their act. Yeah. Uh, it's still, I think, not wholly transparent. So I think there is still a, a wariness amongst yeah. Western brands yeah. to identify with yeah. FIFA, and that is clearly shown in the fact that they haven't signed yeah. new Western brands and yeah. since 2014 a number of them, you know, prominent brands out. like yeah. Yeah. You know, Emirates, Sony, Continental yeah. Airlines have pulled out yeah. and they haven't been replaced by Western brands. Mm -hmm. And that coincides with the growth in interest in the East, in mm -hmm. football, particularly in China, where there is a clear agenda to grow football I think there's a stated ambition of the leadership that they That's would right. like to host the World Cup in the yeah. future. And they have stepped into the gap, if you like, that the Western brands have left mm -hmm. and have come in and taken those slots mm -hmm. and are actively promoting themselves. So what do you, what does the, the, the Eastern, the Far Eastern brands of China, um, South Korea, what do they see as being the attractiveness of the World Cup? Um, apart from the fact that, yes, they, China in particular has a stated aim to build a, a sports economy around football. Um, what is it about FIFA and about football in general that 
that the Eastern brands are finding attractive to the point where they're not they're not concerned about um, the, the potential taint of scandal? I think they've come in after 2014, 2015, so that's almost historical to them. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't have any association with that. So they're almost coming in with a clean slate, looking forward to how can we leverage the World Cup for the greater benefit of China mm-hmm. and mobilizing the Chinese population behind football. And they are investing, as you know, hugely in, in football. And the Chinese league is, is making great strides. And uh, as part of the research, um, as you know, we do an annual uh, evaluation of football brands. And as part of that, we did some research in China and in India Mm -hmm. in particular. And uh, we're seeing really strong engagement, both in the Chinese league as well as real interest in particularly the the Premier League in, Mm -hmm. in the UK. So... The actual grassroots interest in football is strong and growing. Mm -hmm. And I think one in five Chinese watched the World Cup in 2014, and that's undoubtedly going to be significantly higher now. So, yeah, (laughs) the exposure that those brands will get if nothing other than the Chinese market will be significant. Mm -hmm. And then they've got the global exposure. Um, You know, there are brands in there that. I certainly haven't heard of and mm. probably many people mm. likewise haven't who now will know about them and yeah. so there's a huge opportunity for exposure there. In, in terms of, of um, exposure to brands that uh, maybe are not well known, um, what's the kind of stickability after, after a, a, World, a World Cup event? You know, for instance, if you, if you see the Wanda billboards all over the place and you've no idea who Wanda is, you're unlikely to come across Wanda outside of China, particularly. So, how, how does how does Wanda, for instance, justify the spend it must have had to have its name at the World Cup when it's unlikely that there's going to be any benefit outside of China? It's a good point, and it's not at all clear how they will benefit outside of China, unless they invest in their brand subsequently in in the markets which they are interested, which have already exposed them to that audience. So uh, if they are interested in markets, new markets, they are going to have to follow that exposure up with more brand investment Mm -hmm. and familiarizing the listenership, the audience in those markets with their brand. Mm -hmm. Just doing the World Cup and then disappearing again, they will rapidly be forgotten. So it's it's kind of like uh, laying a marker down that they can then build on if they want to. And the extent to which they've done their arithmetic and said, this is worth it for us just to get ourselves exposed across China. And if there's any residual value in other markets, that's good, but that's That's additional benefit and we'll invest in that subsequently. Or if there's if it's part of a strategy, we're going global, and this is our first uh, our first shout, and you'll be hearing more from us, you know, next month and the month after. Mm-hmm. Uh, time will only tell whether yeah. that's the plan or whether it's a China strategy where they're 
not too bothered about what happens. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if, if they go the same way as, say, for instance, um, Emirates and Etihad in the sense that, you know, the, the, the brand name has for the past 10 years been, particularly Emirates, been all over sport, football right. in particular, and Etihad with football as well. And I think it would be safe to say that 10, 15 years ago, very few people in the West would have heard of Etihad. Absolutely. Uh, uh, of course, you so. know, football is a great global ambassador. And yeah. as you say, the likes of uh, Emirates and Etihad have really benefited benefited by that enormously. Mm, so and, I guess uh, the Chinese brands see, probably see that and think, well, if we do have a strategy of going global, then it makes absolute sense to use football yeah, as the vehicle. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So um, that's on the kind of commercial sponsorship side and the, the country branding side. I mean, obviously, football is a professional sport and the professionals are very well paid. Um, if, if you, you know, the top three players in the world uh, certainly the highest paid, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo and Neymar. Um, through salary and sponsorships and endorsements, they earned a combined $309 million last year, which is a significant amount of money. Um, from the point of view of their power to, if you like, negotiate higher um, fees for, for, uh, for sponsoring certain uh, commercial brands, does the World Cup carry quite a lot of weight when it comes to afterwards re re either renegotiating or renewing contracts with, with commercial companies? It absolutely does. And um, obviously those that get more exposure and are seen to be doing great things on the pitch are going to attract more audience and more fans. I was reading that uh, Ronaldo has 128 million Instagram followers, mm. uh, second only to Selena Gomez. <laughs> when, right. Curious, curiously. <laughs> so, you know, already there's a, a huge fan base there. And uh, those players obviously will want to grow that. And, uh, you know, perhaps so far Messi hasn't had the most stellar of World mm. Cups whether that matters or not, probably only marginally because he is such a superstar mm. anyway. Mm. I think the interesting thing is more about the next layer mm -hmm. of players who are in the next tier and f lower down with mm. the opportunity to shine and mm. to really attract attention mm -hmm. and to show their personality and yeah. you know how attractive they will be to uh, to fans and audiences and boost their desirability. So, and I guess that will again this kind of east west shift I, I guess take for instance um, some of the you know very younger players f that are with the England squad for instance they may well be not so well known in in China or or, uh, or, or the, you know the eastern markets I guess if they have um, you know a, a stellar cup run that then puts them in a very particularly if it's tied in with the um, with the social media aspect of things then that puts them in a very good position from the point of view of negotiating deals outside of the west doesn't it yes uh, it puts them in a, a good position generally to be honest uh, any player who shines in the world cup is going to be in a good position mm -hmm. uh, and if their team has done well uh, their clubs are going to be supportive of that. Because typically, you know, uh, an England player, his club will want him to do well. Mm. It's good for the club. It's good for the player. And uh, it will generally enhance market marketability. That goes both in terms of renegotiating his deal with his club as well as as um, as other as well as commercial deals. That, yeah. uh, and I guess also it has that. It's interesting that you say that it also reflects well on the club and therefore on the club's sponsors. As yes. well, I mean, for instance, Manchester City. You know, you, you, if you have a, an England player doing well 
who plays for Manchester City, then Etihad are going to be very pleased about it. Absolutely. Um, yes, everybody benefits. They're all tied in, aren't yes. they? Yes. Obviously, a player's brand value can be boosted, um, or otherwise. Uh, um, but it's interesting that you say it's it's more a positive benefit than it would be a negative one if they don't have a particularly good World Cup. I think in the social media, the, the, the brand space, they can have a bad World Cup if A, they behave badly, or you know, there's, there's something uh, untowards about that. I think simply playing badly or not shining, it's not going to boost their chances, but it doesn't necessarily detract. Um, given that uh, FIFA is, is, I mean, it's a commercial machine, first and foremost. It's, um, it's a monopoly, effectively, um, on uh, one of the, you know, the biggest income generators that, uh, that sport knows, certainly. Um, how is it that despite the, the, the taint and, uh, of the scandal of around 214 and, and the, the, the whiff that there is still something a little fishy about the whole setup, how, can, how, how do you think we can explain that FIFA has or will beat its own revenue target of 6.1 billion for this competition by 10%? I think it's a testament to the grassroots global interest in football that despite all of that, people still love football. They're still very engaged in the World Cup. They want to watch it. So you know they're prepared to pay to watch it on television. And um, the money will still flow. The man in the street is not that bothered about FIFA. The sponsors clearly are because they don't want to be aligned or associated with a brand that... Uh, that, as you say, may cast uh, um, a bad uh, feeling amongst their the people they care about. So um, I think it's just it carries on, and the weight of interest is there. And uh, you know, goodness knows what it could have been if uh, if FIFA had been more efficient, more yeah. transparent, and and so on. So. Um, it's the power of football, yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess that's the case, um, and will be, according to uh, many predictions, anyway, for 2026 in North America, the World Cup in North America, where um, FIFA is uh, expected to to post um, record revenues of around 14 billion, I think. Um, of course, the competition is likely to be increased from 32 teams to 48. Um, how is, is is there? Do you think a possibility that it could become too big? In fact, and it might actually dilute the um, the the kudos, if you like, around it as an event. I think there is that risk. Um, although it'll be really interesting to see in uh, when it does move to North America, whether the American brands, the Western brands, are back. You would expect that they would do if it's on their doorstep, uh, you know, in the US, Canada, Mexico, all the South American uh, countries will feel that it's close to them and we know how much they care about football. So I think there's a real opportunity to really make something really big. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As you say, growing it, um, it is a a risk that it becomes too big. Um, There are also other kind of uh, issues which are potentially diluting uh, the attraction, uh, things like esports and so on. Uh, there's so many other things that young people can uh, get involved in now. So I think there is a risk that uh, you know, it 
it becomes a victim of its own success yeah. in a way. Uh, but I think you know the the event in uh, in North America is going to probably be a watershed mm-hmm. as to you know are we over the the taint of the 2014? Yeah. Yeah. Have they finally yeah. flushed that out of their system? And now is it a yeah. a fully functioning, transparent organization really caring about world football? Yeah, um, I, it's an interesting point you make. I think about esports. Um, it's quite possible, I think, by then that um, to a certain extent, I mean, particularly if, if you look at, you know, the wider uh, socioeconomic um, situations whereby with a growing middle class uh, and a growing access to, to the technology required for esports, the kind of the traditional lure of, you know, the kids playing playing football in the back street with a tin can mm-hmm. um, I, it, there's a, you could argue that there's a possibility that, in fact, football will lose its allure for a younger audience. And if it does that, then um, it's, it will be in trouble. I think you're absolutely right. And I think the risk of that happening is different in different economies. Um, so uh, I think there's definitely the possibility of you know, kids saying, well, you know, I don't need to uh, spend my time watching superstars i can be my own superstar yeah. in my own little in virtual bedroom. universe <laughs> so uh that's fine for me yeah and i think there is definitely the chance that that will dilute now it's hard to imagine it will destroy it mm. but it it is something which i would imagine world football needs to be aware of and align with and there are already clubs aligning with esports and yeah. having you know relationships there so they're at club level they're clearly already onto it Mm -hmm. and uh, I think it's only going to get bigger and bigger so the uh, the challenge will be for football to align with esports but not allow it to devour it Mm -hmm. so uh, we'll see where we go many thanks to Andrew Campbell for that insight into the branding power of the World Cup My name's Chris Nelson, and you can find us on your usual app provider and at thenational.ae.